podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Sam Keir, host of Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. For the past 12 months, I've been talking to T20 star David Visa, getting his take from behind the scenes at the IPL, the 100 and the rest of the world's biggest leagues. That's the Donnelly view system, DLS. There's no <laughs> ways in my mind that was up. These guys don't know how to win at this stage. He had his driver pick him up in his Bentley. People start chanting your name. You kind of have to pinch yourself. Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Sport Social. This message is sponsored by Amazon. I want to get back to kissing the cheeks of my grandbabies, making Sunday dinner with a house full of family and lots of laughs. <laughs> COVID-19 has changed how we live and how we feel, but now there are vaccines. It's okay to have questions. Now get the facts. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision about COVID-19 vaccines. It's up to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council. All this week on NBC4, new products to new technology. Susan Hogan is showing you how local restaurants are changing the way we dine in and take out in this new world. Tonight at 6. A new twist on outdoor eating. A lot of it is creating flexibility. How one local restaurant is making their outdoor space mobile, giving you plenty of sunshine and social distance for a stress-free meal. It's all part of restaurant revitalization. Tonight at 6 on NBC4, working for you. Hello everybody and welcome to the Premier League Nightclub Podcast. My name is Damon and with me, yet a bloody again, I just have <laughs> Woody. Woody, we've had some, you know, like real interesting things dr- happen during the weekend. And I know I say that every week, but it hasn't, it, it has been the case. Yeah. It was, a, it was a really weird sort of week because it was like a week and a half without Premier League. Yeah. Up between the last podcast and now and getting back into it, we saw an absolute array of games and it was, it was interesting to see because some of the results came out of nowhere. It was some of the really hard to and, decipher. And, and a few of the games about. sent everyone to sleep as well. Yeah. So a real <laughs> like heavy difference of, of, of results so far this week. But I think the biggest result was our boy Sammy, who's not with us. He's actually on a date tonight. So well done to him. And I feel sorry for the unlucky lady that's uh been roped into Sam's plans. Ho- hopefully, worst case scenario, the podcast gets another listener out of the date. That's a I reckon, minimum. I reckon the biggest thing is I hope he doesn't stand her up like he stood up to, stood us up. Well, you know, <laughs> the the pecking order of his priorities have been shown today, I think. <laughs> I think I think uh you hit the nail on the head. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, uh this is a football podcast, so we should veer back into it. And Woody, I've we 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 came up together today and we well during the week and we were just like, you know, we love doing the pod, but we need something spicy this week. Yeah. I think we needed we needed something that, you know, made it a little bit different to last week and the week before that and the week before that. And we got some honor offside with the transfer edition, which I'm very excited about. But until then, let's get stuck in to a little bit of, you know, actual Premier League action that happened over the weekend. <laughs> action, do. action, action. And uh but before then, Woody, hit us with those quick fire results. <laughs> 
So, to kick off the round, Leicester drew with Chelsea 2 all. Norwich and Newcastle snooze first nil all. Sheffield beat Palace 1 nil. Brighton and West Ham played out a banger, six goal thriller, three all. Bournemouth down Villa 2 1. Everton beat Watford 3 2. Liverpool beat Southampton 4 0. United and Wolves drew nil all. Snooze Fest yet again. Arsenal Burnley drew nil all. Snooze Fest yet again. And to cap off the round, Tottenham down the reigning champions 2 0. Manchester City. Also worth mentioning, Woody, that there was actually a game like the day after we recorded, which was Liverpool West Ham. Mm. And that finished 2 0. So that, but that mm. was from like match week 14 or something, like almost. Yeah, which a month was, and half of, ago. of course, the replay of their game yep. earlier on the season. Mm-hmm. And they play again in like a week and a half, which is quite yeah. funny after the winter break, that is. All right. Let's get stuck into the game you just mentioned before, Woody. And that was Tottenham versus Manchester City. Don Pele does well. Son is free to score. 2-0 can celebrate, Spurs can celebrate. It has been an incredible 10 minutes in this game. And Son has struck for the third game running. All right, this one was ridiculous because on face value, if you just looked at the stats and maybe even the highlights, you'd have to say that it was a it was a Mourinho masterclass, but it, that couldn't be further from the truth. But was it, mate? No, it, it was it was not at all. And I, <laughs> we both watched the game, and I think the the, the first thing I, I messaged to you, and I was like, Damo, how the hell did City not score? And you responded, and you said the ball just wouldn't go in the back of the net, and that was pretty much City's story for the first half or the first sixty minutes, really. Yeah, the ball literally just would not go in the back of the net, mate. Even the commentator, I think, in the last minute. Uh, Suzuko, it, like it literally just smashed into Suzuko's head and smashed into the crossbar and came back out to De Bruyne who couldn't, you know, couldn't do anything with it. And the commentator straight after was just straight up like, we could be here till Christmas and City still wouldn't be scoring. <laughs> like it was just one of those games where honestly, the chances that City were creating, I think Aguero just couldn't get his feet right, missed one and hit yeah. the side netting. He missed one right on the, on the uh, near post as well. Yep, and yep. literally could have smacked it into an open goal, but just, didn't know where the goals were, so he hit, hit the side netting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then Sterling missed a couple. Sterling missed a few golden opportunities as well. De Bruyne missed a couple of golden opportunities. It was this. It was really I just and a tale that we haven't seen for a while. And see, that's City not taking their chances. Yeah, for sure. And another tale that we've seen between these two sides is VAR and that it, its impact on these two sides. Every time they meet each other, there seems to be some sort of drama, and it's unbelievable. It's like a new rivalry that's brewed in the last year or two. Not so much results wise. Like obviously, City have had the better of of it most of the time but Spurs do seem to get something out of City you know short term when they play isn't that right Woody yeah for sure and I think that rivalry has definitely ramped up since Jose has gone to Tottenham obviously we know Pep and Jose have a fabled past back in Spain now in England so it's it's interesting to see them on the touchline and boy did we see Jose Mourinho on the touchline as well (laughs) you can catch that on the on the Insta at Premier League nightclub Jose being Jose, it was uh, it was so funny to watch. He went from zero to ten like that. It was absolutely hilarious. But Damo, you are right. I mean, VAR played a pretty fabled story in this game. Yeah, and I think that's probably like obviously this is why Mourinho's got, well, why Mourinho went from zero to ten. Well, firstly, the Aurier doing what Aurier likes to do and give away penalties. <laughs> I don't know how many he's given away this season, but it'd have to be quite a few, uh, especially in big games as well. He seems to struggle. But nevertheless, he put a challenge of Aguero, and it, 
initially it did look like he got the ball, but of course VAR after after two and a half minutes of play, because that's how long it took for the ball to go out. VAR decided to tell the referee that it was in fact a penalty. From then, Aguero, who has a pretty poor history from the spot against Spurs, although he does score quite often against Spurs in open play, gave the ball to Gundogan. Gundogan with a pretty ordinary penalty, but nevertheless, great save by Lloris, who that's a big inclusion back in the side. Mm-hmm. We forgot to mention that as well a couple of weeks ago for Tottenham. Uh, then straight away... You ball- always gave away the penalty yeah. to Sterling. And, who, yeah, this yeah, is where who, it all goes. Who ran in on the rebound. And <laughs> just like us talking right now, got pretty hairy. <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless, it's actually like really... It's an interesting topic though, because Jose probably had a point in this one. And I think the fact that it wasn't given a penalty, I think it's certainly warranted in asking the question. Yeah, and Damon, it's probably a question that I will ask you right now. Do you think Sterling should have got the second yellow, which would have been a red? I think it was really, like, I don't know what angles VAR got, but from what you could see on the TV, it was actually genuinely a hard decision to make. Mm. So I'm happy for the penalty not to be given if there's, you know, a bit of indecision about it. But I also am happy for the yellow card not to be given in that there might have been a slight contact, but not enough for Sterling to go down. Was he looking for it? Probably yes. But did he did he get to the ball first? Probably yes. So there's just like so many factors that like you can't really put your put your finger on, like whether they're right or wrong or what actually happened. So I'm pretty happy to leave that as it was. What about you? What do you See, you I don't actually disagree with you there. I think contact in the box and the player has gone down. So for me, like we've seen so many times this season, we've seen plenty of VAR decisions being given that have been extremely soft. And I think that was another soft one that could have been given. Mm-hmm. And for me, the consistency probably wasn't there because on another game... Like we, we we definitely could have seen that being given a penalty. So would you? Are you happy with it the way it was though? Like for them not to give uh, it. I think I think for the scope of the season, yes. But I think for consistency so far, then to, I yeah. yeah I think it should have been a penalty. Okay, fair enough. I, yeah. I understand that. All right, but moving on, of course. Then we saw later in the in the game in the second half, Zubchenko. Cutting off Harry Wings, who we're going to get into soon, because I know you and me would have thought he was unbelievable mm. on the weekend. But yeah, Zivchenko saw himself get a second yellow card. Annoyingly for him, the first yellow card actually came in a dispute with the referee over the penalty, you know, for abusing the referee pretty yeah. much. So, you know, 50-50 on whether he should have put in that second challenge, but nevertheless, he was an idiot for his first yellow card. So off he went. Yep, I can't, ag- I can't agree with you more there. I think the second yellow was completely, completely warranted. You know, Spurs had a break as well, and I can't remember who it was. It might have been Sun, um, was on the last man. So, um, you know, like yellow a, a, card. a yellow card, w- w- yeah, had to, had to be given, had yep. to be given. Uh, but then it, City really struggled to adapt. I mean, they had about two minutes where Sterling and Mares were playing as wingbacks, and they went into a back five with Walker going in at centre back as well, and it did not work at all because within minutes, the man of the weekend, <laughs> Stephen Bergwijn, the man from PSV, came along and just went, boys, let me take it from here, and went whack. Hit his big fat chest, hit down to his big fat foot, and it's gone in the big fat goal. Mate, that was unreal. Volley and a half. I, it, 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 it was, it was a, our nightclub news flash for the week, because with that goal, he became the 250th player to score on his EPL debut in the Premier League era, and from that, the 13th Dutchman to do so. So... By all means, he played, he played an unreal game for like when he came on as well. Mm. Um, and it was a great inclusion and boy, oh boy, he made his impact straight up. Yeah. I think it's also like worth mentioning that I reckon nine out of 10 players let that ball hit the ground after the chest, but he hit it 
without on he, the volley. He made the harder technique, and it, on TV, it looked like a half volley. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. then when you saw the replay, he just like, hit it flush. And I think that's why it caught Edison out. And I think Jose said something similar after the game. He said the technique uh, was very good, but the way he hit the ball with a sense of urgency meant that Edison was caught off guard, which pretty accurate description, oh, to be honest. Com- completely, completely. And then 10 minutes later, Hume-Min Son. Bang. A little bit lucky, though, on this one with the deflection off Fernandinho's foot, but it just sort of sums up City's defending. They couldn't... Yeah. They, I heard the commentators talking about how there might have been a little bit of, you know, if there was one team that was going to come back from, you know, 1-0 down with 10 men, it was going to be Manchester City. But you just sort of felt that they were still more vulnerable than likely to score, and it showed. Yeah, I felt as if, um, you know, when Zinchenko goes off, Rodri tends to push back into, into the back four. Um, mm-hmm. but then from there, I, I just feel as if that, you know, City just became unlocked. And that's probably something that we don't usually see from City. But I think it came down to Tottenham's pressure on the ball because they didn't really sit back. So you say that, Woody, we haven't seen it from City, but I'd argue we have. It's, we've been speaking about it so often. But I've seen, like, we both have seen City in the last three years play with a man down and still dominate a team. That is true, yeah. You yeah. know the thing is, and I think I feel as if when that happens, if teams get get too stuck into playing the way they do against a normal city team and sitting back and letting them have the ball, then it doesn't matter how many they could have five people on the pitch and they'll still tear you apart. Yeah. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, you get but I think saying. the way Tottenham the Tottenham really shifted because they 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 closed down to no longer being just a meter or two meters away from a city player. And I think it really showed. I think there was a there was a spot where um, Sun pressured. I think it was uh, Fernandinho in the second half, and he was not sitting two meters off. He was sitting half a meter, mm-hmm. and that co- caused Fernandinho to kick the ball out. And for me, like the way that Tottenham pushed against City was the reason why they could go two 0 up once Zinchenko went off. I feel like even prior to the red card, it was getting to the point where you knew it was trying, it was starting to become Tottenham's day. Yeah, it was coming. It, it was it, coming. It certainly was like, you know, when these missed opportunities from Manchester City starts piling up and piling up and piling up, it does tend to, you know, give a little bit of writing on the wall sort of stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, and I think two players we need to touch on in midfield for Spurs that I would say won them the game. Giovanni Lacelso and Harry Winks. I thought they were both Unbelievable. Yeah, I think Harry Winks definitely had probably one of the best games that I've ever seen from him. One of the most mature games, definitely. I thought he held his position extremely well, and the way he dis- distributed as well was was uh, probably the reason why he he's in for a shout for the England call-up. Yeah, and I, I think the way... It wasn't just... Like, he's always had that passing ability and composure, but he had a little bit of... You know, shithousery about him as well. Yeah. Like, it, but with, but he kept his composure. It wasn't just losing his head, getting carded sort of shithousery. It was like full on, like winning the ball back and then hitting a target. He had yeah. one of the top percentages of passing actually on the field and also won 100% of his tackles up against Manchester City. That's so hard to achieve. So mm. I thought he was, did really, really well and, and right in front of that con- back four. Especially considering Tottenham had, I think, 26% possession in the first half, 33% possession for the whole game. So, you know, it showed that, like, in the first half, Winks, Winks was given such little opportunity to, to, to be on the ball. But mm. when he did, the maturity he showed was, was next to none on, on, the, on the pitch. Mm. Along with that, of course, Giovanni Lacelso, as I said, you ran the most kilometers on the ground, 11, 11.78 kilometers. And it just it goes to show the work rate that's required to have a good game against this Manchester City team. But Lacelso, who, of course, made the full-time switch to Spurs during January after being on loan for the first six months, he, he looks to be a Tottenham man. 
Yeah, completely. Sure, yeah. And funnily enough, that that transfer actually came probably, I think, 20 minutes announcement-wise after Ericsson had gone to Inter Milan. So yeah. <laughs> um, a bit of a spit in the face to Ericsson, nonetheless. Um, but also definitely, I think he'll shoo in straight into what Ericsson played. Now, Damo, before we wrap up this game, I want to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Because regarding a quote from Pep um, post-game, yeah. and it was he said so, – I'm going to paraphrase here and say that – um, he said that I will be judged on not winning a Champions League with my Manchester City career. I did see this. I did see now, this. Now, we said earlier on this season, and we made a very bold claim, which we actually copped a little bit of criticism for from a few of our listeners, um, was that Pep plays the victim way too much um, in his roles and has so in his whole managerial career. Mm-hmm. Now, we've seen Pep with these comments. Do you think that will now play into his favour for him to pot- potentially leave City at the end of the season? I think you say we, we he plays the victim. I think he would be playing the victim big time if he left at the end of this season. It's the first season he's had at Manchester City since his first one where it hasn't all gone perfectly pretty much. I think if he won the Champions League and then left, that would be fair enough. I think that that Manchester City team now needs a little bit of you know, rejuvenating. They are 22 points behind Liverpool. Yes, mm. Liverpool probably one of the greatest teams we'll see, but they're 22 points behind. They haven't been that mm. lot, been that much behind in years. So I think they'll need to revamp the squad a little bit. Fernandinho, he's one that, of course, we thought we was on the brink of, you know, being replaced by Rodri. Just resigned though. Yes, because of the this, this centre-back situation. So, you know, this, this team needs a little bit of revamping, reju- rejuvenation. And I don't know if Pep's the man that's willing to do that. He's almost, you know, a quick fix, quick, you know, quick trophies, Pep. And we know what Pep's going to bring. And wherever he goes, he'll probably be successful. But I just think that I'd love to see Pep stick around and try and do something that he's never done before, you know, like a new yeah. challenge. And see if you can not, maybe not win the Champions League Take this season. Take down a top dog, though. Yeah. And just yeah. do it, do it a different way. See, I agree with you. I feel as if he's almost giving himself the platform if he leaves City at the end of the season and he cops criticism to say, hey, look, this is what I said back in Feb. Now I'm proving everyone right because I'm being judged because I haven't won a Champions League. Yeah. And he'll go back to a title, say, oh, you know, I've won th- two City titles or three City titles. You know what I mean? Depending mm. on where he finishes at when he leaves. Now I, th- I feel as if that's pretty rich and I, I, I don't agree with that because I think it's unfair for him. He's almost discrediting a lot of other teams in the world by saying that, you know, City, if City don't win the league, then it's yeah, going to pile the saying. pressure on him. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know what mean. It's, it's more of City not fulfilling their potential than them being, you know, better than other teams in the world. Yep. So, yeah. So I get exactly what you mean. Anyway, Woody, let's move on to segment we have every week, and that is winners and losers. Oi, did someone say winners and losers? Sure did, mate. All right, Woody, I'm going to start this off because I found this incredibly interesting. Now, I did a bit of research on a team that had a massive win on the weekend, and that was Bournemouth. They are my winner. Now, listen to this. In the last six games, Bournemouth have played the four teams that sit below them and Brighton, uh, sorry, yes, and Brighton twice who are one above them. Mm-hmm. They, after the first six, uh, after the first four games of this patch, had lost all four at an aggregate of 10 0. They hadn't scored against the four teams below, uh, four, five teams around them. In the last two weeks, they've won both their games. They now sit 16th, two points above relegation. Now, 
they are my winner for now because if you look, obviously they've played the teams around them, which means they're going to start playing tougher teams on their run home, which is an issue. But that two points above relegation could do them a massive, massive favor in terms of staying up. I'm not saying they will. In fact, I probably think they won't. But for now, they have to be incredibly luck- thankful that despite losing those four games in January, that they sit out of the relegation zone. Woody, who is your winner? So my winner of the week this week has to go to Everton. And that's uh, my girlfriend's dad's team. And this is by no means a suck up here, but far <laughs> out. Like they, they won 3-2 against, uh, against the Wolves and they put out an absolute, sorry, against Watford. They put you an get, absolute you get those two teams mixed up every oh week. Oh my God, I swear. To God. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And so shout out to Yerimina scored two goals in stoppage time in the first half. Man in the match performance, hands down was amazing on the pitch. Current, co- um, covered, covered ground like I've never seen anyone cover ground before. And mm. I, earlier in the season, I slayed him and said he's a bit of a lank, bit of an, bit of an awkward sort of bloke. Mate, he was, absolutely God-esque. He was unreal during this game, and the two goals absolutely showed for it as well. But then on top of that, Theo Walcott with a 90th-minute winner, Everton showing absolute bits at the moment. Bit and of a smash and grab, which we haven't seen from Everton, like huge smash, ability. Huge smash and grab. And against the Watford side that were probably having a, a, a relatively good few weeks as well, probably a bit of resurgence compared to the start of the season. You know, Everton now sit ninth, um, and to be honest, they're only four points off fifth, nine points off top four. So... They're in there with the big boys, and I think a top table, top half finish is something that we didn't expect. So for that reason, they're my winner this week. Yep, fair enough. Alrighty, my loser is Guaita and Crystal Palace. And goodness me, Woody, did you see what Guaita did over the weekend? Now I don't want to go. Hey. I don't want to lay into him too hard because you actually are wearing a Crystal Palace kit at the moment. I am mm. wearing the '99 vintage Crystal Palace away kit, and it is looking slick, isn't it, Damo? Yeah, it, it is. And for those who don't know, he's He's very happy with the recent purchase, and he's not just wearing it today. He's been wearing it quite a bit. But, yeah, Guaysa, look, he's been probably Palace's player of the season, but he had a mare in this one. Fumbled it over the line. He should have punched it. Norwood's corner was pretty pretty poor, and I think Sheffield up until that point had barely had an attempt on goal. Slipped through Guaysa's hands, fumbled over the line. It led to a Sheffield 1-0 win, and Palace now sit outside that top half of the table, which, to be honest, they'd probably be disappointed based on their first half of the season. So they'll be looking to bounce back, but for now, they are my loser of the week. Woody, who is your loser? I have to go for Southampton this week, and and it's probably a little bit unfair because they're playing probably one of the greatest teams of all time. That they're definitely Liverpool are definitely in that um, consideration at the moment. But the fact is they conceded four goals. And they conceded three of their goals were basically one and one defending errors. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, Southampton conceded obviously nine back um, earlier on in the season. They've just conceded another four, so they've conceded uh, all in one half as well. Yeah, I know all in one half, which was absolutely ridiculous. And even Mo Salah during the game, he was definitely shaking his head because he was scoring these goals that he shouldn't even be scoring. And he yeah. said he was. It was almost like he was like to his teammates. How is this going in the back of the net? I don't even know. <laughs> and to be honest, I think it came down to Southampton's lack of defending. They now have a goal difference of negative 15, which is third worst in the league, and they conceded 46, which is second worst in the league. Now, the other two, the other two are on par for relegation being Aston Villa and Norwich City. So Southampton are definitely not playing the way they want. And we, we talk about how good their front line is, Jimmy Ward-Prowse and Danny Ings and Shane Long. But I think their defense is a serious issue at the moment. They're leaking, leaking ship. Yeah. And it, it's really hard to see because they get cricket scores put against them every single week. It seems like every second week now. Mm. And I think it's definitely need something, something that need, they need to address ASAP. Yep, yeah, for sure. 
So I heard from my sister's friend's cousin that Kohl's has the lowest prices of the season and had to see for myself. For real, the deals are so good. I got my kids summer tees for $5.99, a cute swimsuit for myself for $17.99, and a shark vacuum for $199.99, which will be great after Sandy Beach Days. I got Kohl's cash too, and I got it all in less than an hour with free store pickup. So yeah, summer, I'm ready for you. Select styles ends May 23rd. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details. Alrighty, Woody, let's go a quick little uh, reflection on this one because I really wanted to talk about it. I made it clear during the week that it was important. That was West Ham versus Brighton. Oh, this is good. Proper crossing opportunity. Whipped across. Oh, Murray. It drops to him. It's there. I think it'll be a handball, though. I think Glenn Murray's first Premier League goal of the season is going to be chalked off. It's a goal. Albion a level. Glenn Murray salutes the Albion fans who can finally celebrate. It's his first Premier League goal of the season. Yet another one against West Ham. This one had massive, massive ramifications for the relegation battle. And Woody, to be honest, West Ham must be kicking themselves. Yeah, West Ham would be absolutely kicking themselves, Damo. Especially when you three went up in the seventy fourth minute, and and you, you concede you concede two in the last fifteen. You you, you have to be kicking yourself because that should be three points in the bag for, for the Hammers. That's for sure. Yeah, I just think it's been the story of the season for them, and I felt really sorry for David Moyes on the weekend. He he couldn't really do much else. He went out with a plan. Uh, their their direct style of play and the Moyes style of play, I want to call it the crossing. Mm. It was there. It was evident. It was big time evident. And, there were only two players from West Ham who had a passing accuracy of over 80%. They dominated on the ball. Uh, you look at their centre-backs, Ogbonner and Diop, just the 64% and 77% passing accuracy, which means a lot of it, and they're not playing the simple pass, which you'd say is the modern game. It's a lot of heave-ho up the pitch, which is fine. I get David Moyes is there to do a job. It's to keep West Ham up. And if that's the best way to do it, I have no issue with that. But I just thought, yeah, like some, you summed it up perfectly, Woody, in saying that the position they were in, the way they play football, it made no sense why they overcomplicated things in the last 15 to 20 minutes. And it was West, it was really the Hammers' mistakes that cost them the game. And it wasn't that anyone really played barely. It was just the moment of lapses. And we call them the David Louise moments that untie games. And I think for the Hammers, it was these, un, these, these mistakes that untied their game. Yeah, for sure. And I think straight up, it was the guy, Fabianski, who we've spoken about so much this season because of his absence. And we've said that West Ham would be in a lot better position on the table if this man was able to play, you know, a lot more games this season. But to be honest, first, you know, he got Brighton back in the game with a real ordinary defense, oh, goalkeeper punch straight into the back of Ogbonnet for an own goal. And it was just such basic error goal of goalkeeping for a man we expect so much more of. And you see Ogbonnet turn around, he goes, what else could I have done just then? Yeah. He was not facing the ball at all. And he was Fabi- protecting the keeper, if anything. Exactly. Where he was positioned. And he boxed out his man extremely well. But then the Fabianski punch, it was... Bizarre. It was... It was mate, it was a daisy cutter. It was, <laughs> it was nothing. And it's gone straight into Ogbonna's back and into the goal. Mate, it was no excuse from Fabianski at all. Yeah, no. No excuse. Terrible, terrible. And I think terrible. it's a bit unfair that it actually goes down as an Ogbonna on goal. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think, but the worst one was between Ogbonna <laughs> and Diop for this, for the goal that Gross scored to get Brighton really, really back oh into my. the game. Oh my. Just put it into the stands, boys. Just hurl it as far as you can away from the goal. <laughs> Say it again, mate. 
hairless. <laughs> right, seriously, it was. It's hard to watch. Every time I watch it, I'm just sitting there, and my brain's about to explode. It's just so, so bad. It's pretty shit. It's, 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 I don't think there's anything else you could say. It's pretty shit. <laughs> And then, of course, a uh, little bit of a VAR, VAR dispute for the last goal. But Glenn Murray, the 36-year-old, found the back of the net in his first start since September. The whole stadium thought it was a handball, but he was convinced it wasn't. And, of course, it wasn't. And 3-3. Mate, the, to be honest, the boys were just as confused looking at each other as probably, I'm sure, Sammy's day would be when Sam takes off his pants out of nowhere in the restaurant. So, yeah. <laughs> So it was it was really weird scenes there, and it's something that you probably don't see every day. And just like I hope even you don't his see teammates every... were going back to the halfway, or not even back to the halfway line. Yeah, They're just was... like, yeah, look, settle, settle down, Glenn. Yeah. It's gonna it's gonna be a free kick, mate. <laughs> anyway, um, West Ham they're in real trouble now, I think, and I I can't stress this enough how big a trouble they are. If you look at their fixtures to come, City and Liverpool away. In their next two, mm. Southampton, Arsenal, Wolves, Spurs, Chelsea. Is there a harder run in football? I think da- uh, David Moyes, I wanted to say David Moyes, David Moyes has the hardest job in world football for the next three months. I think the only uh, escape he might have is against Southampton at home. Yeah. And he'd be lucky to put a goal past them, to be honest, the way the way West Ham are um, keeping their defense at the moment. And, uh, I'd, oh, it, it, that's rough. That is rough. I feel bad because he's he's only been there four weeks and now he's going to come in and now he's going to cop it. Yeah, he's, he's in serious trouble. And I think I think it's worth noting that West Ham actually host Aston Villa on the final day of the season. That that could be like, we might have to do like a live pod for that. That could be that a could straight, be, up, straight up relegation decider. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a playoff <laughs> game. <laughs> Jeez. Like, what are the chances of that? That would be an incredible watch if things stay the same as they are right now. Man, the hams are cooked. They, <laughs> I can sh- almost shoot in for go down. I, I would be surprised if they managed to stay up. I think the only thing that'll beat them is Aston Villa screwing up as hard as they can, yeah. putting an effort in to screw up. I, I think they're in real, real trouble. And I think Brighton, because of their ability, the way uh, Potter's got these boys working, I think it would be incredibly sad. Of course, we have the Australian ties there if they were to go down. But I just think that that spirit that they showed was something that might have been lacking in previous previous weeks, previous months. But now that I've seen that, I'm pretty convinced they'll manage to stay up based on the style they play and the heart they put into that play. Yeah, quick chat quickly about Brighton because we, we, we've talked a lot about Hammers and their lack of success, mm-hmm. but we haven't talked about Brighton and we talked about a little bit about the Aussie connection in previous weeks and we love that. Love Aaron Moy. He's absolutely doing things as well. Signed permanently, of course, for the Seagulls. But to take nothing away from away from Brighton, they worked incredibly hard. And they came back from uh, two goals down to, to to snatch a point. They're they're really, like you said, Damo. They're showing like that they should be up and they deserve to be in the top flight. Yeah, I think we've spoken again about West Ham's mistakes, but even Graham Potter after the game said mistakes don't just happen on their own. Something has to force them to happen. And I thought, thought he summed it up perfectly. You know, like gross for the first, uh, for the goal in the seventy fourth minute. Um, you know, obviously Glenn Murray was sitting at the back post. <laughs> expecting, you know, a lack of clearance from West Ham. Yeah, like things like that. Yeah. Just smart football playing. They have smart footballers. That's the thing. Yeah. They they, have smart footballers. They do. That technically, I would say, out of the bottom like six or seven, Brighton squad, other than maybe West Ham, to be honest, who just can't get seem to get it right, have one. They do have a really good squad. So, yeah, again, be really disappointing if they do go down, but I don't think they will. Mm. 
And funnily enough, this was the third time that Brighton have avoided defeat in the EPL um, when trailing by at least uh, two goals. So there you go. They don't have a massive history of it, but they did. Yeah, comeback kings. (laughs) Showing bits. (laughs) Also worth noting, West Ham actually have never beaten Brighton in the Premier League. That's now their sixth attempt, three draws, three losses. So that's weird, isn't it? Jeez. Funny how these little things, you know, in the 74th minute, the uh, the Moz was about to be over, but no, it lives on. The Moz. The Moz. (laughs) All right. Let's move on to something, as we said, mentioned at the start of the app, and that's our transfer edition of On or Off Side. Woody, mate. Mm. This one, we were trying to figure out how we were going to incorporate the January transfer window into an episode. And we didn't really touch on it during the month of January, purely because, Woody, you weren't here. And if I tried to get Sam involved with it, it just would have been, you know, an absolute disaster. The man struggles as it is in in the studio. So I didn't want to add that to it. It would have been a bit of meat, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So now that you're back, I thought, what perfect way, what more a perfect way to do it than to incorporate it into honor offside. So... Woody, I will kick off the first one to you. Bergwijn to Spurs. Oof. Uh, look, it's pretty hard to go. Firstly, we'll put it, set the scene. Pretty hard to go on or offside with a couple of these. Um, but I think with Bergwijn to Spurs, definitely onside because it seems like Harry Kane is going to be out for a while. So Sonny and Lucas are going to be playing up front a lot more as we saw a little bit on the weekend. Um, so I think Bergwijn coming in and sh- um, showing up some some left mid, um, left winger sort of socks definitely helps um, and gives space for Sonny and Lucas to sort of move up the pitch as well. Yeah, for sure. So Damo, on or offside, Fernandez to Manchester United. I think it's pretty safe to say this one's an onside just because of the desperate nature of the deal i mean but was it desperate i think it was i I think if that didn't go through man united season would be all it's all we know it's already hanging by a thread but i think that would have been the last straw for we've spoke about last week about the you know the issues off field and i think if that deal didn't get done i don't mean it was desperate to get done but i think it desperately needed to get done does that make yeah i know i know i understand yeah so i think for that to go through, it just has to be an onside. There's, there was no other option for Ed Woodward and his team. I, I think, think even in just an integrity sort of base, it had to be done. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? There would have been, yeah, no more excuses if that didn't go through. Alrighty, Woody. Mm. Minamino to Liverpool. Uh, I'm actually going to go offside here. And I know we get a lot of Liverpool listeners. Really? Even um, for the price? And oh, See, the thing, the price is extremely tasty. And now we saw him, saw him in the, in the cup game and, and, I know he was playing with under 23s, but he didn't have his best game. And Klopp sort of lauded him and said, Oh, look, Minamino played unreal. And it's like, um, he was so good or whatever. Yeah. And, but I just feel as if Minamino probably needs, a, 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 you could do better in terms of age for an understudy for Firmino. Now I think Firmino is going to be in a Liverpool team for a long while. Minamino needs minutes to develop. Mm. Now, I don't think you'll get completely what you want out of Minamino if he's consistently been the understudy for probably one of the best center forwards in the league. Would you almost say that it's an offside for the player more than the club? Yes, completely. And that's why I'm saying offside. Yeah, because okay. I think bargain-wise, he was unreal. And we saw the way he played in the Bundesliga. He was he was top, top probably top five in his position in the league and consistently for a few months. But then I think for him, it almost stagnated his growth coming to the most successful team in the world at the mm. moment. Mm-hmm. Fair Nothing, point. no knock against Liverpool. Best team I think we've seen in the Premier League ever. 
I just don't think it's beneficial for Minamino's development. Yep, fair enough. Damo, Danny Rose, Newcastle, on or offside? Yeah, this is a smart loan deal. I think it benefits both teams. I think Danny Rose wasn't getting much of a look in under Mourinho. And Newcastle need a left wing, a left left wing back, I should say, or left back. Uh, Jetro Williams, Willems, I should say, out for the <laughs> Willems, <laughs> out for the pretty much the whole season. So that was a necessity for Newcastle for a team that you know statistically should be a lot lower on the table. They need to cover all bases to make sure they don't get in any trouble late in the season. So that's an onside for mine. Woody, yo, Ashley Young, the club captain, leaving Man United. Uh, I'll have to say offside because I believe. That um, Man United looks from what if you look at any game that they've played this season, it looks like they lack some serious leadership. And from what you hear from players, that Ashley Young was a great leader in the change room, and I think his presence would have definitely would have been felt at 34. He wouldn't he wouldn't last another set. I think he would have been gone at the end of the season anyway. But I think for the rest of the season, they probably don't have an established leader. Probably McTominay is the next one in line, I think, is a long-term sort of captain. But even then, he's 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 not playing, and Maguire probably hasn't shown what real leadership skills have probably allowed him to be in the England squad so far yep. and get the international armband. Damon, on or offside, Ericsson leaving Spurs? Now, I'm going to cop criticism because I'm going to say offside. And the reason I say... What? I'm, the Are re- you serious? The reason I say offside is, okay, yes, he had to go. I get it. But I think it's we, we've seen so many. They just beat they just beat City two nil. I know, but they could have beaten City two nil if they got rid of Ericsson six months ago. And I went the, when they played at the Etihad. That's what a point I'm trying to Fair make. Up. I just think that you know life after Ericsson was looking lighter and lighter and lighter as this season went on, which means it almost. I know Captain Hindsight, great bloke, and. He would all be on board the fact that Ericsson should have gone in the summer. I think it would have rejuvenated the squad in a weird way. It just would have been another hassle gone for Tottenham. And who knows, Poch might might be here if those little things go right for him before the season starts. So, yeah, I think it's an offside because they got $15 million for him from Inter Milan. They could have got 30 or 40 if they sold in the summer and didn't try to convince him to stay, which was never going to happen. I think the only thing I disagree with there is that if he went at the start of the season... They had an unproven Lo Celso in the Premier League who probably, and they didn't really have anyone that could fit his role. That's all I'm saying. Now, Dali Ali was probably a shadow of what he was compared to two seasons ago last season. Mm-hmm. So I think coming into the season, he definitely wouldn't have been able to live up to what Ericsson had produced. So I think that's why Ericsson had to be there because you know sort of what you're getting quality wise. Maybe his effort, we know his effort dropped off and we saw it in the Liverpool game a couple of weeks ago. But nonetheless, his quality was always there. And for that reason, I think the unproven Lo Celso and out-of-form Dali Alley was the reason why he stayed till January. Yeah, fair enough. But I'm still, as I said, Captain Hindsight, don't, sure. think, it, don't think it should have been done this January. It should have been done six months ago. All righty, Woody. Pablo Murray to Arsenal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think so much of me wants to say offside here. But I'll say onside. And, but, and even then I'll stuck, I'll stick in a funny quote, uh, sorry, a funny stat, um, in that Pablo Mari committed more fouls 28 than he made tackles 22 last season, which is absolutely <laughs> hilarious. But I think I, I I'm going to say onside because I think Arsenal need defensive stocks at the moment. 
Now, I'm not saying they can't go and buy the next Van Dyke or the next Harry Maguire. Touch wood. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, for what there was in January, there's not probably not that much they could have done to seriously improve what they had. Mm-hmm. Now, withholding in and out of injury as well, and Chambers probably not not really fulfilling what you what you wanted to be so far this season. I think Pablo Murray, like you know, it's it's good to have the defensive stocks, and they need to change the Socrates and Louise partnership. They have to. They yeah. have to. Bit of deviation, um, but Damo, to you, honor offside. Daniel Prudence to Wolverhampton Wolves. I like this one, and I like it a lot. The uh, the winger has joined Wolves. For a pretty small fee as well, and I think it just adds to some lack of depth or gives Wolves a little bit more depth. And it's obviously going to be an issue later in the year when they play their Europa League knockout games. They start up in a few weeks. So it's important they boost up the squad. Of course, Neto, Jota, uh, Jimenez, like these guys, they, they've done a job. But of course, they lost um, a few players as well in the January transfer window. Mm-hmm. So they needed to really bring in another attacker just to make sure that those guys that have delivered for a year and a half now can continue to deliver and Prudence can give them a bit of a chop out when required or who knows, maybe even make that starting 11 if he plays well enough. Funnily enough, that starting 11 could be 11 Portugal players if they had signed two more and a Portuguese manager. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Alrighty. Woody. Yep. Bowen to West Ham. Heavy, 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 heavy onside. Um, because I think West Ham are dying out for someone extremely creative. And, and, and I think Jared Bowen is exactly that. Um, highly rated forward from Hull City. Um, 23 years old, five and a half year contract. I think they've locked in potentially, um, what they wanted Haller to be for the next five years. I think given their, their position as well, to have someone commit for that long, it's a good sign. Yeah, and especially he nailed 54 goals and had 14 assists um, with Hull City. So he definitely knows how to find the back and then it has been in cracking form so far and can play as a number 10 or as a center forward. So I think that's a bit of diversity what they need is and it potentially gives them the option to play two up top, which I think will provide them a little bit more stability going forward, especially if Moyes wants to continue playing the crossing crossing sort of ball. Yep, for sure. Yep, Damo, I'm going to swing it off to you. Uh, on or offside, Sander Burge to Sheffield. I love this one. I love it a lot. I think it's one of the signings of the transfer window. The 21-year-old Norwegian heading over to Sheffield, and I think it's probably their best signing in their history based on reputation. I don't know what he's going to give out yet, but honestly, like what a signing. West Ham wanted him. A few other clubs wanted him. I think he is going to benefit from being in a not a top, top team yet. Who knows where he'll be in a few years, but Sheffield can only benefit from this. The midfielder you know, can add so much to their squad and who knows, they might be playing Europe next season so he can only do good for them. Woody. Yo. Danny Drinkwater to Aston Villa. Uh, I'll go two-part here because I think that it is an onside for Aston Villa because um, Dean Smith said that, you know, he's going to strengthen their squad significantly and I think that is absolutely the case. Um, I think... You know, he, he'll, he'll swing into that team and rotate very well with David Louise and Marvelous and the Camber and those sort of guys. And I feel as you if. mean he, Douglas Louise, man. Douglas Louise, sorry, Douglas Louise. Um, and, and Marvelous and the Camber. And I really think that he'll probably, um, benefit the Aston Villa squad and bring a lot of class that we saw that 20 or 29 year old play in Leicester's title winning season and, and, and feature in Chelsea as well in his, in his big money move a couple of seasons later. But then I'm going to go offside for Danny Drinkwater because he's on a loan. Now, I don't think he's going to get the game time that he reckons he might have or Chelsea reckon he might have at, um, at Aston Villa because mm-hmm. 
for me, he's I I wouldn't say he's head and shoulders above Louise and Marvelous Nakamba. That's the thing. So for that reason, I don't think he'll see as many minutes as probably what he did at Leicester when he started almost every game or eighty percent of games. Um, I just don't think he's going to get the minutes, and for that reason, I reckon it might cause his career to to sort of stagnate. He might have to go to a lower lower team in order to get those minutes yet again. Yeah, it's a bit of a summary of his last 12 months, I think. It's all fallen mm. a l- apart a little bit for Danny Drinkwater. So I think you might be right in saying that being in this environment might not be the best thing for him, but for Aston Villa, they can only benefit from it. Alrighty. That's a wrap. That is a wrap on our transfer on our side wrap. Whoop. And that is also a wrap on our episode. It's come to an end. Woody, Woody I think we actually need to put out a, a call because – Something that I really want to get back involved is the game show. We haven't had mm. it for a while. I'd love to. And Damon, that's a really good statement because still yet to know if Sammy's going to be involved next week. Might have, not, <laughs> might have a follow-up date or maybe a new date. Who knows? But I'd love to do it next week if we can. I think it's a serious option. And of course, we say it every week. We do have some special guests brewing. So keep an eye on the socials. And you can find those socials. Where, Woody? Uh, on Insta at Premier League Nightclub. And on Twitter at PL Nightclub. And of course, on Facebook as well now. Yes, you can. Uh, and all you need to do is search up Premier League Nightclub. It is linked to our Facebook, uh, to our Instagram. So everything that you see on Facebook is coming directly from our Instagram feed. And we hope that you're liking it. And we're definitely getting a pretty good reception from our Insta at the moment, aren't we, Damo? Yeah. We're, and we're also just coming at the people from everywhere as well, you know, so. <laughs> all directions. And hopefully some even more directions in the future. Oh, you're hinting at something? I am, but we'll keep oh. it at that. All right. Woody, I'm going to leave it here. I am incredibly hungry, to be honest. I have, yeah. you know, been thinking about food for a lot of this pod, so <laughs> I, need to, I need to go have go have some dinner. Everybody, best of luck to your teams playing in the either the first weekend of the winter break or the second weekend. Of course, a split round this mm-hmm. weekend. So interesting to see that happen for the first time. We'll only have a little bit to talk about next week, but we'll have a lot on the agenda, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And thank you for boogieing at the Premier League nightclub. Bye-bye. See ya. Time to fire up the grill. Time to go to Total Wine and find the perfect flavor to pair with those burgers. Ooh, I love their beer cooler. (laughs) You love their prices even more. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. Time to fire up the grill. Time to go to Total Wine and find the perfect flavor to pair with those burgers. Ooh, I love their beer cooler. (laughs) You love their prices even more. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. Sports Social Podcast Network.